You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. So a little over a decade ago, I entered seminary here at Truett, and I took my first preaching class. I'd already been working in Christian radio before that um, at a Christian rock station in Dallas, um, and everyone there kept telling me, you know, you should go to seminary. And eventually I listened to them because I'm the slowest person to catch on in my life. And despite a few years of lackluster church attendance, I found that I really loved preaching. I ended up taking like five or six uh, preaching classes at Truett, and some poor souls even had to be my little ones under me because I became a TA in what we did preaching coaching for a couple of years. Um, It was a pretty dreadful experiment, and I'm sorry again to those who are involved. But one of the first things that I heard in my first preaching class that really made a difference to me and has framed for every every time I've ever preached um, was actually originally a quote that was said about newspapers that a lot of pastors and different homileticians have said about preaching. Um, And it's that preaching should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And that's a tall order. Um, And it requires knowing the space that you're going into. It requires knowing the situations that are going on in the world. It requires knowing the people around you. But it was also the opposite of much of the preaching experience that I had previous to that. In my struggles in my own life, I often walked away from hearing somebody preach feeling more dejected, more hopeless, less sure of God's love, or that beautiful vision of the kingdom of God that originally brought me into Christianity. And I saw a lot of people walking out each week with that kind of smugness that I'm glad I'm not like those poor sinners kind of thing going on. I saw people walking out more assured, more assured of their status in the kingdom, more assured of their status on earth, more assured of their belonging in a way that didn't happen for me. And I think didn't happen for a lot of people at UBC, um, those of us who've had to fight to find that belonging, those of us who had to leave and find new places in order to be known. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Sometimes scripture makes it really difficult to do that. Sometimes we get a passage like today's where it's really easy to be like, oh, there's an afflict the comfortable and a comfort the afflicted message. Sometimes the congregation or the moment in time makes this easy, and then other times you're preaching at UBC where people have beautiful and widely diverse experiences, and sometimes frustratingly, they're all over the map in those We are as complex as humans are in here, comfortable in some ways and afflicted in others. So maybe this sermon would be a little bit different if the vaccine clinic that will be hosted afterwards, uh, after church day was yesterday, and us, we all had those sore arms, that little affliction. But all of that to say, here we are messy, seeking, and stuck between this dichotomy of comfort and affliction with a passage in which it seems like Jesus takes a pretty clear side. This passage seems to be about money, but this sermon is not. Um, This is actually about boundaries, just to make that easy. 
Um, I fit all of the demographics of somebody who belongs on Instagram, and so I do. Um, it's just how it goes. Um, so there's this Instagrammer, I think that's what we call them, that I want to bring up, and her name is Nidra Tawab, because I think she's one of the best like, Instagram therapists about boundaries in the modern age. She recently wrote a book everybody on the planet should read called Set Boundaries and Find Peace. And not long ago, she posted this list saying, boundaries for myself look like. And I say this and I kind of prep what boundaries are because I think it's a difficult thing we talk about and we don't know what to do in the Christian faith. Her list was a reminder of what boundaries are really about. Boundaries are not our attempt to control others. They're not an attempt to punish others, but they're the guidelines and rules that we live by in our own lives to honor ourselves. All boundaries at the end of the day are about us. They may look like some of her examples, the I will not drink anymore, I've reached my limit, or I will ease into the day rather than rushing out of bed, or I am resting to prevent burnout. And that pattern, even when we say boundaries for ourselves, it does continue with boundaries for ourselves when we're in relationships with others. I don't have to be in a relationship with somebody who yells at me. I am no longer committed to changing the minds of people who are committed to misunderstanding me. I do not want to stay in places where I am not wanted. I do not have to share what I am not comfortable sharing. I can say no even if I previously said yes. And I do not have to do something for others that they can do for themselves. In this story, we see a widow a woman who gave, who gave drastically and deeply, and men who stole, a widow who knew what she was doing, and in accordance with her boundaries, she acted. And we see scribes who pushed others beyond their comfort. Somewhere along the path, I think a lot of Christians have heard that we should be wary of boundaries, that it's selfish to have your own needs. Scripture does say differently. One of my favorites uh, as an introvert is from Proverbs 25, 17. It says, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. A.K.A. It's not Christian to show up uninvited, okay? But a little bit more clearly, John 2, 24 makes clear that even Jesus held boundaries. Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. So if boundaries are something that you've not been comfortable with or not sure how to balance with your faith, I want to offer some comfort today. But for those of you who are looking for a little affliction, I have to admit that figuring out boundaries in faith, how we give, how we sacrifice, how we love, that's a lifelong mission. That is a lifelong practice that requires a lot of wisdom and a lot of discernment some of which I don't have. What I'm saying today isn't about ignoring any spiritual discipline, but that does have to be a conversation for another day and time because you guys don't want me up here forever, I promise. As a high schooler, though, and a college student, I decided to take this passage, the anti-scribe and the pro-widow portion, about as literally as possible and to integrate it to my life 
to join other Christians in that really awkward, no one wants to be the first one to go into the potluck line or even to pick up communion, to be one of those people who doesn't say long prayers in public, don't put myself out there to accept awards, and that lastly, give everything you have to anybody who asks it, give your life away, and Jesus will commend you. Give where it hurts or it's not giving. Those are the messages that somehow I heard and received and and kept. I heard we all have to give, even the most poor, even the most destitute, even the already completely dependent, even the most abused, exhausted, and worn out. That's the message I heard about being a Christian. And yet Jesus does commend this woman Scripture doesn't demand that this woman give at all. In fact, Scripture demands that she is taken care of. Exodus uh, 22, 22 says, don't take advantage of the widow or orphan. Deuteronomy 14, 28, 29 gives instructions on how a tithe should be given, not just to the Levites, but to the widows, the orphans, the aliens, the, you know, everybody, so they can eat and be satisfied. Deuteronomy 24, 19 um, talks about leaving grain in the field so that others can have that chance to eat it. Isaiah uh, 10, verses 1 and 2 threatens all of those who cross widows and oppress them. Malachi 3, 5 repeats that threat, actually in very similar language to Jesus in the first half of this passage, that devouring their houses language. And in my studying and in my reading for today, It was fascinating how people interpreted the widow's action and Jesus' reaction. So many said, this means that those who have little should give out of their little. They should give still to those more in need than themselves. That we should always give not just what we have, but beyond our power, as one commentator who I will leave nameless has said. Look at that self-denying love. What matters is that it costs the giver. And I think that this has done so much damage. We don't know the whole story of this widow. We know that she gave, and scripture says that she gave all she had to live on. We know that she trusted God, and we don't know if this was a big final act of trust for her, a big final act of trust in the, New T- in the Old Testament that this was her giving up her attempt at trying to hustle and take care of herself. And by giving these last two things, she was saying, okay, I'm in that category and I need somebody else to take care of me now. We don't know if she did this, knowing those promises, trusting those promises. We don't know if she did this, knowing that she'd be seen by others giving those last two coins, knowing maybe she could shame those scribes into doing their duty to her that they could trust in God and maybe do a little performative rebellion at the same time. We don't know. It's one of my favorite interpretations. I think it's something Jesus might have liked. We don't know if she felt liberation at exiting that hard scrabble for survival. We don't know if she felt fear. We don't know if she felt hope that those coins would help maybe even herself. We don't know. We know she gave what was left of her life to an offering box. And now we know that sometimes that story has been used 
as a weapon against the poor, against the afflicted that don't give, and against ourselves when we want to rest. As I said earlier this sermon, it's not about money, and I do mean that. I've heard that message. Give of your life, sacrifice how it hurts. And that ends up with a lot of people in a lot of abusive contexts. You do not have to accept abuse, whether it's financial abuse or physical or mental or emotional, to be commended by Jesus. If somebody else is harming you, you do not need to stay to be loved by God or to do right. You do not have to sacrifice your health. One of my favorite uh, other Instagram accounts, because why not, is Black Liturgies by Cole Arthur Riley. Um, and on June 11th of this year, she posted a prayer on the topic of sacred boundaries, and I want to quote from it. It says, Let us meet the demands of this world with truth-telling and self-charity, knowing you don't call us to die to self as a vague mantra of self-sacrifice, giving ceaselessly without care for ourselves. Rather, you call us to die to which is not of you, including that which leads us to be owned by others. It is a death to bondage. And when we speak, no, let it shatter chains. You do not have to sacrifice your health to come to a church in person during a pandemic. You do not have to pick up the phone and say yes when you are in bed and exhausted. You do not need to live in a hustle culture to be good enough to deserve support. You do not need to give up your priorities only because another person asked and love is only proved by suffering. You can honor your mother, your father, your partner, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, and say no. I'm gonna say that again. You can honor your mother, your father, your partner, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, and still say no. I already said that we don't know the full story of the widow, but I, again, lean towards that liberation is around every corner, especially when Jesus is in the picture. You can say yes to giving of yourself. You can count the cost and take time to recharge just like Jesus did. You can sneak away and pray. You can fall asleep during the storm and not worry about crisis management all the time. I say this, if y'all know my day job, I have to say this to myself. You can also say no. You can shake the dust off your feet and say, I will let this job fall to others and trust in God to call another or to tear down whatever oppressive structure or system is there. Yes or no, and God will still call you his beloved. This is hard for a lot of us. I know I said at the beginning, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. Maybe in some ways and in some relationships, we're the one who has it easy and we're the one who has that comfort. Maybe in others, we find ourselves afflicted and just don't even know what to do. Maybe when it comes to our faith, we feel afflicted or maybe we feel comforted. I don't know. It's the beautiful thing about this community is we're all in different places 
coming from different angles and trying to figure it out. But in this scripture, we see somebody give, and we see her commended to do so. But we don't see her commanded to do so. We do not have to accept any form of abuse to be loved by God. We do not have to accept that there's one way to give, that there's only a yes as an answer. We have the chance to know that God loves us, that his ability to have things done is not bound by us individually saying yes or no. We don't live in a world of scarcity. We live in one of abundance, one created that desires dignity given to each and every person, one that was made with all of us made in the image of God. I don't have all the answers on this is exactly how it should look like. I don't know if that's a sermon or something that belongs in some sort of counseling session. But I know that even if you don't give your last two coins, like the widow, that does not mean you're condemned. It does not mean that Jesus may not give you his commendation. In fact, maybe that's exactly what he's hoping for. If y'all would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are a God that expressed so much love and dignity for us. We give you thanks that in Jesus' life we saw him live with boundaries. We saw a Christ who cared about letting us choose what we were able to handle while calling us gently and kindly to him. Help us to learn that discernment. Help us to learn the wisdom to know when to say yes and when to say no. So we may honor you. We may honor your creation of us. That we may honor our neighbors as ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Holy. At this point in the service, we like to leave a time of silence to invite the Spirit to shape our thinking on what we just heard. So we'll take that time now. <laughs> 